Chapter 2. Mysterious Visitor The next morning when Pete awoke, he knew it was later than the other days he'd been on the ranch, and still there was no sounds of stirring in the house. Puzzled, he dressed and went through the kitchen where the breakfast fire had not been started in the range. The clock on the shelf told him it was six, and he knew his aunt and uncle were supposed to be up at 4.30. Outside, he was even more surprised to find Hatsy still under the wagon, but squatting on his bed rolled, bareheaded, with his hat in his hands. Now Pete saw that Hatsy was bald. The white hair that showed beneath his hat came from the sides and the back of his head. I thought you never took your hat off, Pete said. Ordinarily, I'd say that what I did was nobody's business but mine, Hatsy retorted. But you're kind of a tenderfoot, so I guess I'll allow a little for your button in where you weren't asked. The old man paused and lifted up his stiff, shiny sombrero for inspection. How do you like the new hat band? He said. A rattler crawled into bed with me last night to keep warm. In case you didn't know, rattlers in your bed won't strike you if you take it easy getting out. Well, I took it easy. But I just thought I'd make him pay for his lodging by lending me his skin for a while. There, in place of the beadwork hat band he wore the day before, was a rattlesnake skin. Did you sew it on? Pete asked. Course not. Patsy replied scornfully. Anybody knows there's a kind of glue inside a rattlesnake. It just naturally holds tight when it dries. As Hatsy started to put on his newly decorated sombrero, Pete saw a big scar in the center of his bald pate. How did you get that scar? he asked. Never saw a young fellow so curious about other people's business, Hatsy snorted. But I guess there's no harm in telling. When I was just a shaver younger than you are, and just as green, I got mixed up with a band of Ute Indians. They were hungry, and had come over to South Fork for some horses to eat. They weren't particular about whether the horses were running wild or had brands on them. They just liked that horse meat. And from the looks of them, a few good steaks wouldn't have done them any harm. My old man had dabbed his brand on quite a few Mustangs along the Rio Grande, and he felt real property proud. So he got in an argument with the Utes when he saw his brand on a pony they was fixing to carve up for supper. That was the end of my dad, and almost the end of me. One of the Utes had a gun, but he wasn't much of a shot. He just creased my skull. Hatsy pointed to the scar. Then he raised my hair as a souvenir. Reckon he was so mad when his supper was interrupted that he got careless and didn't make sure I was dead. Just hung my scalp on his belt and lit out. Pete felt his own crew cut bristling as he listened. He'd never thought before how it would feel to be scalped, and he didn't like it. I came around all right after the Utes were gone, Hatsy went on. I never got my hair back, but I got used to that. What did bother me was the creasing job on my skull. Anything touching that place sends me plumb loco. You can knock me out, it seems, if you hit me there with a feather. So I got me a hat that doesn't dent so easy, and I wear it. Anybody ever catch the Utes? Pete asked. No. They made themselves mighty scarce for quite a while. 
I've been all over Ute country and just looking kind of casually for my hair, but I never seen it and never will. Got to know those Indians pretty well though, while I was looking, and they can have my scalp. It's about all they got left in this world. And the fact is, my own ranch had been part of the Ute hunting grounds before some white men took it away from them and sold it to me. You used to own a ranch? Pete asked. Why not? The old man replied. But I sold it a few years back and now I just go around seeing the country and staying where it's cool in the summer and warm in the winter. Hatsy got up to heave his bedroll into the wagon and Pete gave him a hand. Then suddenly Pete remembered how late it was. Hey, what do you suppose happened to everybody? Pete said. They're late getting up this morning. I'm starved too. I tell Lemmy's got the wrong name for this ranch, Hatsy answered. Instead of calling the Lazy B-5, he ought to call it the 5B Lazy. He never gets up until 6 o'clock on Sundays. Let's go in there and raise the dickens about breakfast. Just then, Pete heard Aunt Clara rattling in the kitchen. I'd better go look after Raindrop and Polka Dot, he said. Hatsy came along to the barn, and as they fed and watered the horses, Old Chief tagged along, full of delight at the attention both Heat, Pete and Hatsy paid him. Finally, Pete got a chance to ask, What kind of flies do you use when you're fishing for trout in this country? I'd be telling, the old man replied. I never told anybody what bait I use for fish any more than I had told them years back what I use for beaver. Beaver? Pete was puzzled. Show, Hatsy went on. There used to be plenty of beaver in the mountains, and anybody knows you gotta trap them with castor bait. The castor is a gland a beaver grows under his skin. So you use one part from one beaver to trap another. It's the fixing of the castor that's the secret. Pete was more and more interested in this old man who seemed to be an endless mine of new information. He wanted to ask a lot of questions about Beaver, but he was beginning to work out a whole plan in his mind. Do you always go fishing alone? Pete said. Well, years back I had a partner, but ever since he got into an argument with the wrong end of a mule, he's been pushing up daisies. You got any ideas? Well, I thought maybe you might be able to use some help around your camp, and Uncle Lem doesn't have much of anything for me to do here. I could come back to the ranch when Slim has a horse broke so I can help ride fence, Pete said. Ever been camping? the old man asked. I don't know whether you'd call it camping, but I do, Pete answered. The boys club I belong to has a place where it takes kids in the summer and in the winter too. We used to sleep out in the summertime and we learned how to cook our own food. In the winter we stayed in a cabin and skied all the time. Sounds kind of like a dude ranch to me, Hatsy said in a joking sort of way. I suppose it does, Pete replied. But it wasn't a fancy place. We had to do all our own work. Uh, if you take me along I'll show you how to do a lot of things. I'll think it over, Hatsy said. I take my time making up my mind, but once it's made, it stays made. I guess I'll water your horses now, Pete said, feeling some hope that Hatsy would take him on the trip. 
Then I'll turn polka dot into the pasture for today and I'll tie Raindrop to the wagon so he'll be ready to saddle after breakfast. Or maybe you were planning to ride with us? Pete wished the old man would come along. But Hatsy said, Nah, I figure I'll mend up some harness and check my fishing tackle. Ready to move on tomorrow. When Pete brought Raindrop back to be tied, the old man had his saddle on the tailgate of the wagon. Beside it lay a Navajo Indian blanket with an angular design in red, black, and gray. Pete reached out and felt the soft texture. The Indian blankets he'd seen had all been stiff and heavy, but this was something different, and it looked far too valuable to be used as he suspected Hatsy used it. "'What's this for?' he asked. "'A saddle blanket, of course,' Hatsy replied. "'I got it off a Navajo friend of mine. His wife made it, and she did it the right way. It's not tourist stuff.' Pete spread the blanket out and examined it. See the place that looks like she made a mistake, Hatsy said. All Navajo blankets have a mistake on purpose. The Indians do it that way for good luck. If you keep one of these things washed, it's the best saddle blanket a horse can have, and it wears longer, too. A minute later, Aunt Clara stepped out and whacked the iron triangle which hung near the door. The iron rang like a bell, calling the men in for breakfast. Before they had quite finished their hot cakes with fried eggs on top and ham on the side, they heard the sound of an auto engine in the road. "'Wonder who's out visiting this time on a Sunday?' Aunt Clara said as she got up to look through the window. "'Lam, it's strangers coming in a jeep!' When the jeep pulled up at the house, a heavy-set man in mountain boots and a city hat climbed out of the seat next to the driver. He called, "'Where's Lem Perkins?' "'I guess I'm the one you're looking for,' Uncle Lem answered slowly. "'What can I do you for?' "'I want a couple of horses,' the stranger said. "'And I heard you were selling. "'I'm going to camp out in the Sangre de Cristos all summer. "'Doctor's orders.' "'And then he added, "'Moore's my name.' "'Glad to make your acquaintance,' Uncle Lem said. I sold all the horses I can afford to sell, but maybe if your price is right, I could spare a couple of ponies from the rough string. They'll be okay for mountain work in a week or two. That's no good, said Moore, plainly showing annoyance. I'm not going to spend my summer bronco busting. I came here to buy a good riding horse and a pack horse, and I'm going to buy them. Now, name your price. Pete looked from the stranger to his uncle, and he guessed that Uncle Lem was thinking about the payments on the barn. He couldn't blame Uncle Lem for trying to get out of the debt he'd been put in by the fire, but Pete could see plainly what was going to happen. Uncle Lem would sell Bridger, his own horse. Then he would put Slim out on the range because Uncle Lem was too old to ride the rough horses himself. That would mean Slim wouldn't have much time to break a horse for Pete to ride. It would be maybe a month or so before Pete got a horse. If ever, he said to himself dismally. Just then Hatsy pulled Pete's shirt and said, Come here, son. I made up my mind about something. When the two of them reached the watering trough, Hatsy said, You go pack your stuff. Looks like horse flesh is disappearing around this place, almost the way it did back on my father's place when the Utes got hungry. I know how it feels to lose something. Didn't I lose my scalp besides my dad? You've been set afoot for the best part of the summer, son. 
but I've got an idea where you can get a good pony. If you'll come along, like you said, and help around my camp for a few weeks, I'll guarantee you're coming back riding a horse of your own. I don't get it, Hatsy, Pete said. I'd like to go fishing with you, but where does the horse come in? I'm not going to take one of yours. You sure ain't, said Hatsy. I broke them the way you're going to break yours, and they're mine. And don't worry, you'll get one. Pete had read about horse stealing, and for a moment he looked doubtful. I still don't get it, he said. You wait and see, Hatsy replied. It'll all be fair and square, and I'm not going to give you anything, except that both of us will have a good time. Now you go pack. I'll corral Lemon Clara. All you'll have to do is ride back here every few days to get the mail from your folks and pick up supplies we may be running out of. My wagon has a lot of stuff in it, but it's not a chain store, and I didn't know I was going to have company. Pete felt his spirit suddenly rising. Hey, Clary, Hatsy called. Come here. Aunt Clara moved away from the jeep where the stranger named Moore was still talking to Uncle Lem. Hatsy told her he wanted to take Pete with him for a fishing trip. I'll see he doesn't fall into crick, he finished. Trust Hatsy, Aunt Clara said to Pete. He's always scheming up something. The funny thing is, some of his schemes work out. So as far as I'm concerned, you can go, Pete. Provided you bring me back a mess of trout. Better ask Lem, though. When are you going to leave? I figure we could be ready right after we get our noon bait under our belts, Hatsy said. Noon bait? Pete said, puzzled. Dinner to boys from Chicago, Hatsy snapped. I thought you were going to ride Raindrop, Pete, Aunt Clara said. I can wait to ride him till we get our camp set up, Pete replied. Hatsy looked at Pete and winked. Don't worry, Clary, said. Pete'll get plenty of riding. I'll go talk to Lamb. As Hatsy and Pete approached the jeep, Moore's angry voice rose. All right, I'll take the burrow then. I haven't got time to chase all over this valley looking for a pack horse. What's your hurry, mister? Uncle Lamb said quietly. I thought you were supposed to be taking it easy. I guess you're right, Moore said. Doctor told me I was too nervous. He began to count out bills and handed them to Uncle Lem. Uncle Lem asked Slim to get Bridger from the pasture, then he said to Pete, Mr. Moore's bought the gray burrow, too. Do you want to get her and bring her over? He's going to pack up right now. As Uncle Lem went to the house to write out the bill of sale for Moore, Hatsy fell in step with him, and when Pete came back leading the burrow, Hatsy called, We're all set. Clary will lend you some sugans. Moore and his driver, whom he had not bothered to introduce, were pulling some boxes and bundles out of the jeep. In a short while, they had a pack saddle on the burrow and the load almost ready. It seemed to Pete a surprisingly small pack for a man who was going to camp out all summer. Aren't you traveling a little light? he asked. Moore simply gave him an irritated look, and while his companion finished throwing a diamond hitch on the pack, Moore flung a saddle on Bridger. Then he said something to the jeep driver Pete couldn't hear, swung into the saddle and was off, without even a friendly farewell. Uncle Lem gave the burrow a swat on her hindquarters, and she tagged along obediently behind Bridger across the alkali plain towards the mountains. 
queer characters, Uncle Lem said as the jeep went off down the road. I hope that fella Moore takes better care of them animals than I'm afraid he will. Uncle Lem went off towards the barn. I wonder where Moore's going to camp, Pete said. I wonder a lot of things, Hatsy said. For instance, what a couple of tough-looking hombres like that doing with a fancy born arrow set in their jeep. Just happened to notice it when they was packing up. Well, anyway, Pete said, what do we do next? Next thing is to pack up ourselves, Hatsy answered. Go and get your stuff ready. Pete sprinted to the house. Half an hour later, Hatsy came to Pete's room and surveyed the chaos. Everything out of the two suitcases was strung all over the floor and bed. Looks to me like you've got enough equipment there to outfit an expedition to the middle of the Sahara Desert, Hatsy said. All you've forgotten is Clary's old organ. Pete felt embarrassed and didn't know what to say. All you need is a pair of blankets and a top, Hatsy explained. Clary said she'd rustle them up for you. Put in an extra shirt and pants, a jacket, slicker, a couple of changes of socks, and something besides those high-heeled boots to hike in. Well, I've only got my city shoes, Pete said in alarm. All right, don't worry. I'll fix you up. Your foot looks about the same size as mine, Hatsy replied and added. Ask Clary for an old flower sack. That'll be your war bag. Put your toothbrush and any little gadgets you want in that. Same as any cowhand does on the roundup. Come on, we'll get that flower sack and something else we'll need too. After Aunt Clara had given Pete his war bag, Hatsy asked her for some string. She handed him a small ball of twine, but Hatsy wasn't satisfied. Now don't be so stingy, he complained. I want lots of string and you've got it. Everybody this side of Wagon Wheel Gap knows you're the string-savingest woman in the valley. There isn't a piece of twine that comes onto this ranch in 20 years that isn't on one of them big balls you keep in your hall closet. I want as much as you'll let me have, and I don't promise to bring it back either. I want all the bright-colored rags you'll let me have, too. Hatsy, you've been out in the sun too long. I knew no good would come of your taking your hat off this morning. Aunt Clara stood there with her hands on her hips and looked at the old man in amazement. Pete was equally astonished. Come on, don't string me along. Just give me the string, Hatsy said. You sure are up to something, Aunt Clara said, shaking her head in perplexity. Well, all right. The string might as well be used for something but if you think I'm going to beg you to tell me what crazy scheme you've got, you're wrong. She opened the hall closet where there were several shelves holding balls of different kinds of string and twine, some of them as big as basketballs. Hatsy helped himself to three that seemed to be made up of the strongest twine. When he asked her again for the rags, Aunt Clara complained, Hatsy, I do declare you've gone plum loco. She couldn't hide her curiosity any longer. What in the world do you want them rags for? Well, you see, it's this way. I'm not as young as I used to be. In the morning, the ground's kind of chilly on my feet when I pull them out of my sugans, and I thought a nice rag rug would come in handy. Figured I'd make one with me doing the planning and Pete doing the weaving. 
For a minute, Pete didn't know whether to believe Hatsy or not, but by the way Aunt Clara said, Oh, pshaw! He knew Hatsy was kidding again. Sooner or later, Pete knew he'd find out what the string and rags were for.